If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. From the Power Home Solar Studio, let's get the podcast started. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Colts official podcast presented that just made by me really miss this season. That like did hearing, make me miss hearing the season. all those highlights and hearing Mate's enthusiastic calls. Yeah, I'm ready for football. Let's go. Let's go. Hey. Just college basketball just ended. Let's let's go. Okay, let's but, play okay, football. We got we got baseball moment. opening day coming up on Thursday, Lara. So we got we got White Sox season starting up. We got the Reds We're, for Mate to not pay attention to. Yeah. No chance. Yeah, that's no chance. We got baseball in general for Lara to not pay attention no, to. No, no, um, no. Uh, I actually am going to take my dad up to a game in a couple of weeks. He's a huge White Sox fan. That's right. I grew up a White Sox fan because of my dad, and I was just talking with uh, our boss about getting up there and, and making a little who weekend a of it. Fan so who, I know, but yeah. he has ties. Yeah. So anyway, my dad had to cancel a trip to Florida, so I was like, hey, I know you're bummed you're missing your Florida trip. How about if we do dad daughter weekend? Day? Did he get Chicago southwested? Right? No, <laughs> no, he did is not. A, is that he a verb now? He I did some, not. I somehow flew from Indianapolis to Atlanta via Baltimore last week, right? Which was a great flight route. I got to tell you, if you can spend two and a half hours in the Baltimore airport to not take a direct flight from Indianapolis to Atlanta, you do it. Um, didn't get, didn't get. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you hit up Jersey Mike's? I mean, what, what are we, Chick-fil-A? Uh, just some, some bar. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't get Southwested though last weekend. Had oh. a very lovely experience on Southwest. Everything was on time. It was great. Good. I Good. Came, the exception. I came back yeah. last Thursday and being Southwested at that point wasn't a thing. It, so well, I, it, I got lucky. It's been a while. Like just so uh, pure transparency, we're all back in the studio together, mm-hmm. the three of us, which is the first time in quite a while that this has happened because everyone has been getting a bit of time off for trips and, and whatnot. JJ had a wedding out of town. Mayte took the family to Disney World. So... It's been uh, it's been a no, busy couple of weeks. No, no, they took me to Disney World. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. take anybody to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, along for the ride. We're all kind of getting in a bit of time before things ramp up here mm-hmm. very shortly because now it's been announced exactly what the off-season yep. quote-unquote voluntary you know workout schedule is. And I always love to refer back to that Edron James quote. I only went to college for two and a half years, but I think I know the meaning of voluntary. <laughs> but yeah. this this offseason, it's it's voluntary um, only in name alone because there's heavy emphasis yeah. on why guys need to get in the building as yeah. much as possible. As my college coach said one time, you don't have to show up, but we don't have to play either. <laughs> so, Is that a Mike Leonard, that's, Jeff? Uh, no, that was the defensive coordinator. Oh, okay. Right? All but, right. Uh, I was going to say Coach L. Coach L was fully on board with that quote, by the way. <laughs> And that philosophy. So we all know what that means. So because the off-season program is starting soon, it starts, by the way, it starts like yesterday for a number of teams who have new head coaches, first-year head coaches. So the Chicago Miami, Bears Chicago, yeah. Matt Eberflus is getting underway up there. The Colts will be in the building in, I believe, two weeks. Those when players will be, will be back here on 56th Street. But ahead of that, we kind of wanted to talk about some players who we think are, are in positions where over the next couple of months, 
need to start showing some growth ahead of the 2022 season because they will be counted on in ways that maybe they were not in 2021 for whatever reason. Later on in this episode, I sat down with Kevin Clark from The Ringer at the NFL owners meetings last week. We had a really good discussion about the state of the NFL roster construction in 2022, where the Colts sit in all of this and what their outlook is in the AFC. So stay tuned for that here later on the podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network wherever you get your podcasts. And let's get underway here. So, Lara, you have a couple of names with uh, a couple of guys who you you are looking at as, hey, OTAs are going to be the start of that growth process for these guys to take on bigger roles. Who do you got? And so just to kind of outline what this these next few weeks look like. So April 18th, JJ, as you mentioned it, that's where the first day of offseason work begins. OTAs are going to be May 24th to 26th, yep. June 1st through 3rd, June 13th through 16th, which then puts that mandatory mini camp as June 7th to 9th. And the way Chris Ballard has emphasized it is every step along the way matters because this is a team that has not had, like many teams, a full offseason program in the last two years. Yep. And the Colts now have that. That means with Carson Wentz coming in, it was abbreviated. With Phillip Rivers, it was coming in. So right, right. not only with a new quarterback coming in, but an entirely new defensive staff. This is imperative that they get in the building and get to work with as many guys as they can. And for the most part, guys are pretty healthy across the board. Those returning guys, of course, you have Julian Blackman who's working his way up, Tyquan Lewis who's working his way back. But, you know, a lot of those guys in, in pretty good shape from a health perspective yeah. didn't lose significant portion of the time. Sorry, Mayte, were you going to jump in there really quick no, before I, I get into my players? No, no, I absolutely you, not. Mayte was gesturing to me. This is the benefit of being back all together. This is like the producer on the fly. I actually have a soundbite uh, from Chris Bauer talking oh. about this. This is, this is a roll long it, and then time I'll get ago. Into, yeah. Let's roll this but this I think complements what you're saying because at the end of the season he's talking about the disappointment of missing the playoffs and there was a lot going on at that point but and he was not very definitive on much but one thing he was really definitive on was we have to have an off-season workout program COVID you know the indecision with all the all the stuff we're having to do with COVID you know the guys waiting outside I mean it we just couldn't get our heads wrapped around it. And looking back on it, we probably should have been more flexible and found a way to do it. Is that an excuse of why? No. But I think you need to – like, I think every step along the way matters. Like, I think off-season matters. I think OTAs matter. Um, I think that time between the summer getting ready, training camp, like, every step of the way matters. Is there a little different way we could probably, you know, maybe do OTAs and stuff to make sure everybody stays? I mean, look, the goal is to 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 be healthy going into the season. Yeah, so we'll work through that. But you've got to be together. you got to work. Like this game, like it takes what it takes to win. Like it does. It's. I told the team this the other day. It takes what it takes. There's no magic pill for winning. There's not. There's not a magic pill we can all take and make everything good. It takes sacrifice. It takes accountability. It takes discipline. It takes coming together as a team. Like all that matters. And if anything, if any of it's off, it's like it's Coach Dungy. It's death by inches, man. Death by inches. And that's why we got to figure out where the where while we bled out in Jacksonville, we got to figure that out. Chris, Chris sounded almost a little bit like Hubert Davis on his interview with Tracy yeah, Wolfson uh-huh. with, his, with how hoarse and raspy he was. Well, and by it's the way, live action. Can you can you believe that was three months ago? That press conference. Wow. No, so, I can't. But and and the point there is, 
three months ago, Chris Ballard was already turning up the intensity on OTA. So this is going to be a big stretch of meetings, practices, film watching, mm-hmm. installation, all the things that goes into an offseason program. Uh, over and the next doing all weeks. of this without restrictions, without yes. things being blocked off. You've got right. the locker room is back to normal. It's not these divided meeting rooms. Mm-hmm, I mean, right. everything is yeah. back to normal. So you aren't having to navigate all of the protocols. And yep. then, you know, those goalposts are shifting week to week. So you don't have that distraction to deal with either, which is an important caveat to what we are dealing with currently in, in 2022 in terms of an NFL scope. Oh, yeah. To your initial question, yes. players. Let's go. All right. I went one offense and one defense because – I mean, and not that either of these are, you know, are novel concepts, but offensively, I think it's Naheem Hines. He is someone who you've seen when Naheem consistently touches the football that leads to great success with your offense. And last year, last season, 56 carries for 276 yards, two touchdowns in 17 games, while catching 40 of his 57 targets for 310 yards and receiving TD. His catch and target totals last year were career lows you expect with a quarterback a veteran quarterback like Matt Ryan he will want to incorporate and have a lot of variety within both his pass catching weapons and his rushing weapons with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines back there so I think that he is one to me that I think is integral to the success of this offense especially when you look at the receiving weapons and how those currently stack up. And you know that you have Michael Pittman Jr. there. Paris Campbell needs to have that big year. You have young developing guys like a Desmond Patman and a Mike Strawn and Ashton Doolin. But to me, Naheem is that more is a more veteran guy who we've already heard conversation about his playing in the slot. That's intriguing to me to have him as that potential weapon in that aspect of the offense. So Naheem Hines. But I just talked about Naheem last week, so I kind of was like, I don't yeah. want to spend too much time on that. That. Then, defensive. Real, real quick yeah. on, on Naheem. Um, track guy. Track guy, obviously. Um, he just the 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 way things are shaping up this offseason, and the Colts can still make some additions here and there. And this kind of goes for probably everyone we're going to talk about. Um, but the competition now at if you're if you get drafted as a slot receiver, let's say, you you're going to have to compete for snaps with Naheem Hines. So. Just because the Colts, maybe maybe they take a guy in the second or third round who profiles as a, a really productive slot receiver, he's not going to just step in immediately. Naheem is going to be there, and hey, you know, we want to get Naheem some snaps in the slot, so you're going to have to compete. It's not like these guys are just going to be handed jobs. That was just kind of the only point I wanted to make here, just in general, mm-hmm. about these guys. But Matt Ryan has incorporated a running back that has at least 50 catches in six of his NFL seasons, and that number would probably be higher if a lot of Atlanta running backs didn't get hurt over the course of Matt Ryan's seasons in Atlanta. So that stat right there has to be music to number 21's ears because he was a big-time threat with Phillip Rivers mm-hmm. a couple years ago, and Rivers loved to get running backs. Absolutely. It was, it was you know, 2.3 seconds, boom, yeah. balls out, let's get six, seven yards, let's stay on schedule, let's get in third and two, third and three, let's get in manageable situations. Nothing against Carson Wentz, but Matt Ryan is much more like Phillip Rivers in that regard to stay on schedule and, and to incorporate backs and tight ends in this offense. And one of the more in-depth conversations that Naheem and I had last 
season when Scotty Montgomery started working with that running back groups, those to benefit Naeem Hines, as he said, Scotty came in with so much receiving experience that he got so much better. Scotty was in the wide his, receiver coach for the Steelers. Exactly. Previously. And I believe played wide receiver, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. also. So that was an element where, you know, going from all of those incredible uh, principles that Tom Rathman instilled in that running back room, well, then. Scotty Montgomery really developed that even further by adding that different element, and that was a great benefit to Naheem last year just in their, you know, practice time, drills off-field, you know, type of work. All right, defensively, when I look at the implementation of a Gus Bradley defense and you have Ron Milas in as the defensive backs coach along with Mike Mitchell as assistant DB's coach, and you know how important the secondary is with a Gus Bradley defense, and you've got strong safeties there with Kari Willis and Julian Blackman, Julian working his way back from that injury. To me, it's going to be Isaiah Rogers because of that unit of cornerbacks, and you have Kenny Moore the second, who plays, of course, his role there, and then you have Marvell Tell, recently signed Brandon Faison, who's going to be a fantastic addition, being with all that familiarity he comes with from playing for Gus Bradley most recently in Las Vegas. But Isaiah Rogers has had this very consistent ascension, not only within the defense, but also on special teams, and now with the departure of Rock Yassine. Mm-hmm. And then you also, you know, you still have, you know, we don't know TJ Carey, Xavier um, Xavier Rhodes. Those are type of guys who, you know, perhaps they, they find their way back currently, you know, free agents. But as it stands right now at this point in early April, I think Isaiah Rogers is going to have a prominent role. He has incredible speed. He plays with great defensive instincts. That's mm-hmm. one thing that I spent a lot of time talking with Rick Venturi about is that it's not incredibly common to have a first or a second year guy like Isaiah Rogers has proven to be that plays with as good ball instincts as Isaiah Rogers does. So I love the idea of, you know, after working within the Eberflus system last two years, now having Ron Milas to be the guru within that secondary and work with a guy who has so much ability and so much talent that I see this being a huge role for Isaiah Rogers to make an impact. So Isaiah Rogers last year, among cornerbacks who played, I I just punched in 350 coverage snaps. He had the 13th lowest passer rating allowed, 72.2. That's pretty good. Yeah, seventy-two point two. That's that's low. That means you're making plays on the ball. You're not allowing a lot of explosive plays. PFFs and and, and PFFs coverage grade on him put him at twenty-second in that group. That's starting cornerback level. That's good. And for a guy who's a second-year player who really only played defensive snaps for the first time last year, Mm -hmm. that builds a pretty good base for where you can go in 2022. And and in 2022, you also expect that you're going to get more pressure up front, too. I mean, just likely Mm -hmm. going to be because of the system, because of the additions you've made, because of guys who are returning. Mm -hmm. You have Ngakwe, you have Quiddy with a second year, Dio with a second year. So I expect that that will also greatly benefit Isaiah Rogers on the back end, too, when you're more effective. Yeah affecting the quarterback. Yeah, he, he proved to be way more than just a special teams guy, mm-hmm. than just a kickoff return guy. He played more than 80% of the snaps in four games last year, so the Colts counted on him. They relied on him big time, especially when Xavier Rhodes was in and out of the lineup, and like you said, Larry, he's going to have to compete with Brandon Faison, Marvel Tell for a starting job, but I think he's squarely in the mix because Xavier Rhodes still on the market, Rocky Seen traded to the Raiders, so he's He's in my starting lineup on this depth chart as we sit here and talk right now because, again, the Colts, he had to deliver for him in some big spots. Mm-hmm. I mean, he picked off Tom Brady last yep. year. So I, I think as of right now, now we haven't had the draft and 
I think he's going to be a starter next season. One other thing that I like about Isaiah, he only committed one penalty last yeah, year. Yeah, he's disciplined. That's that's again, we're talking about a guy who's a, a former six round pick playing a lot more snaps last year than you saw him play in the past. Mm-hmm. For that to be the case, you know, and look, you can say whatever you want about you know him playing more off coverage last mm-hmm. year, but he still you still have to make plays on receivers with the ball in the air. And he's not a grabby guy. That's a really good quality for him to have. Mete, you uh, you didn't tell us before we started recording no, who your guys were. So no, we are to, ready. We are ready to have our brains exploded here. Who do you got? Well, I don't. I don't think your brains right. are going to explode. It's it's a little bit off the beaten path because this guy is really really good already. But if you're talking about a guy that's going to take a huge jump, in my opinion, it's DeForest Buckner. I love it. I don't know if you thought I was going to go there or not. As you as you started, as you said, this guy's really, really good already. But he's, I thought he's I ready was, for more. As soon as he said that, I was like, Quentin Nelson? I don't know. Like, that's where I was going. So, like, yeah. kind of just opposite well, side of the ball. Well, he's a star. I, yeah. I mean, he's an all-pro guy. Yeah. He's a pro bowler last year. And the reason why I'm going there, talked about it a little bit already, Lara, just what he has now on that defensive yeah. line. Because he mm-hmm. was double-teamed. Yeah. On nearly seventy percent of yeah. his pass rush snaps last year. I mean, you, that's insane. That's like at, Aaron Donald it territory. Is, it is. Right you there. look at if you look at the graph that ESPN Seth Walder put out of double team rate for interior defensive linemen. It's like Aaron Donald and yeah. DeForest Buckner are like all the way over to the edge. And you're not going to be able to do that anymore. And, right. And granted, Buckner's great, and he's deserving of a lot of double teams um, throughout the course of a game situationally. But a big reason why that number was so high is because the Colts didn't have a handful of guys that scared you to death to your core coming off the edge last year. You know, Buckner, he's led the Colts in sacks the last two years, and that's not a great thing for the Colts, right? Mm-hmm. Being led in sacks as a team by a defensive tackle, um, a three-technique guy. But again, with Yannick Ngakwe here now, that's that's 10 sacks a season. That's pressure in your face every down. That's a threat every time he's on the field. And, again, he's still going to see double teams, but not at a 70% rate. And that's going to free him up one-on-one to feast yes. on you know, centers and guards and put more pressure on quarterbacks up the middle. He still made the Pro Bowl last season, but I think he could easily explode for – Tons more tackles for loss, pressures, game-changing plays because you've got the evolution of Pay, and then you've got one of the best pass rushers of the last five, six years playing on the outside of that nine technique. He's a proven threat on the outside. So DeForest Buckner, I think, absolutely in store for a breakout year, which is kind of oxymoron to say because he's already an all-pro player. But I think he can have a much bigger impact on this defense next season because of – the scheme changing around him, and then Unique Ngakwe providing all this extra pressure that'll take some things away from DeForest Buckner from that offensive line. And I think you're going to need him to when you look at the teams that you're facing, the quarterbacks that you're facing in the 2022 season. You have Russell Wilson. Now with Denver, you, of course, have Derek Carr and the Raiders. You've got the Cowboys keep, on keep the schedule. Keep those guys in the pocket, with man. Dak Prescott. You've got Mac Jones. You you know, then you look to uh, Justin Herbert casually the as you'll host the Chargers. West. Yeah, you have Mahomes. Like, uh, you've got some quarterbacks that are going to that you are going to need that type of pressure up front from a pivotal piece of that defensive line. Something I talked to Buck about last year because he like everyone in this building graded him very high with his play. Um, but something I talked to him about is that when he get when he gets slide protection so much 
and and lines are just saying we are sliding toward Buck and going to make his life really difficult to make an impact. He didn't have as many opportunities to set up his his go to pass rushing move, which is kind of that like rip and swim move that he has. Um, and it's sort of like when when you're at like a closer in baseball and you only have a couple of pitches to throw, but they know what you're going to throw. You can't really set them up. That made it difficult for when Buck did get those one on one opportunities to hit that move that he's so good at because it, it takes some setting up to do that sometimes. Sometimes Buck is just so good that it doesn't even matter. He can get through it. He can power past a lineman and get a sack. But if Buck gets more of those one-on-one opportunities throughout a game, he can then set that move up for mm-hmm. third and seven against Justin Herbert or you know, in the high red zone against Patrick Mahomes and get that pressure in those guys' faces more effectively than if he's just getting doubled 70% of the time and he literally can't set the move up because you have to do something completely different as a defensive tackle when you're getting doubled. So there's a lot of things that that, that trickle-down effect. Right. Mate, that you talked about with Unique Ngakwe and then hopefully Pay kind of ascending right. as well there. And I know he's really PO'd about how the season ended. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, everybody is, obviously, but he was remembering that Jacksonville game. He couldn't play. Yeah. Oh, he was, yeah. He, he was, was relegated yeah. to like a third-down specialist, yep. if you will. He was had the, he had that bum knee. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, he had to watch most of that letdown from the sideline. So you talk about motivation there. I think that'll help, too. So um, Who you got? I got Matt Pryor. And I wanted to go with him because right now, I mean, Chris Ballard, he said it on Pat McAfee recently that, hey, Matt Pryor is going to get the first shot WrestleMania's to play left tackle. Pat McAfee? Can we take a quick detour <laughs> on that? Like, Sorry, I just Pat, No, him. but like Pat McAfee, like, prob- yeah. like round I mean, of applause seriously. for Pat McAfee. Like, talk about living your dream. Oh, like, oh yeah. God. He's living like nine dreams, I think. Yeah. Like, these are like, yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's like nine of his own childhood like, dreams, what, you know? What a life. Pat I know. McAfee leads. I know. He's fantastic. Like, the guy's, like, breaking news. Like, yeah. You know, like, in the breaking, NFL, yeah. he's now a WWE star. Slugging he, beers with Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin. Like, yeah. living out every, like. Yeah, but you ain't on D, are you, B? That's incredible. Hey, <laughs> this is Stone Cold. Oh, I didn't know what that was. That guy then. needs to chill out. <laughs> Can we? <laughs> Washington cold tide. <gasps> oh, my God. I want to curse right now, but I can't. That's why I said B. Oh. Yeah, but Jane on D. Are you B? <laughs> <laughs> I just threw you guys way yeah, off. Yeah, you did. I just threw you guys I, way we off. We need our in-house wrestling expert, Matthew Dominic, to weigh in here. We, this we would do. be like the perfect opportunity. All I, all I know is I, I didn't That guy know. needs to chill out. See, I, I was more of a Hulk Hogan gal. See, I didn't. I never watched wrestling. Oh, I'm never big watched Hulk Hogan it. Mate's never watched Brother. wrestling. Let, never, yet never seen... can do a spot on oh, yeah. Stone Cold Steve no, Austin. If you, if you talk funny, I can do you. It doesn't matter <laughs> how much I watch you. There's no question about that. No, never saw Star Wars, Star Trek, or wrestling. I never seen Star Wars or Star Trek either. I'm with you. Not on one that. minute of any. Yeah. I've never seen Star Trek. I never was a big wrestling guy. I watched some Star Wars. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I guess that's maybe why we all get along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. But Matt Pryor. So yeah, yeah back our, to back yeah. to uh, Matt Pryor. Matt Pryor is a good player. <laughs> Matt, I, that's he doesn't play D. Though. That's a guy who'd be a good tag team uh, partner. It though. would be. Yeah. It would like be a if guy McAfee's in search of somebody. Six he'd be seven three thirty eight. So anyway, throw back, you through a table. Back to he would absolutely throw you through a table. Back to Chris Ballard on McAfee. He said that Matt Pryor is going to get the first crack at playing left tackle. So that doesn't mean. 
the Colts won't add anyone else at left tackle, right? Mm-hmm. They could still draft someone. They could still go out and sign someone. Um, I mean, Fisher's still out there floating around, Fisher's too, right? Fisher's out there. Like, yeah, there, there are still some you know veterans out there who could potentially be an option if you wanted to bring them in. Mm-hmm. But Matt Pryor, against the Raiders in Week 17 – he played really well, mm-hmm. like really well. And he was matched up. The, we were talking about a Raiders team that had Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, who were so, maybe the most, one of the most effective defensive end combinations in the NFL at getting after quarterbacks last year. And Matt Pryor played his butt off in that game. Mm-hmm. And I think one game doesn't always tell the whole story, right? But when you think about Pryor, his, his size, his physicality, his work ethic, those things all fit the way the Colts want their offensive linemen to play. And there's some upside there. And I remember even, like, you know, the the first couple times that Matt Pryor got in there when he had to start at right tackle with Braden Smith out, that game against Baltimore, I remember specifically, that was the first game he started. I was like, shoot, this guy's pretty good. He's he's playing really well out there, and you never really thought about him in a way that was like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, Matt Pryor's out there like a backup would for a guy as good as Braden Smith. You're always very comfortable with Mm -hmm. him. Then he slides over to left tackle when Eric Fisher's dealing with his injuries late in the season and plays really well. So, Yeah, just imagine the consistency when he has time with – Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly, other yep. than rather than that rotation you yeah. saw where you had Glow and Reed playing over there at certain points. Yeah. You had Danny Pinter coming in at center another spot. So yeah, he was playing in all of those different right. so capacities. The, the, the one other name that I thought of here. So, you know, if you're thinking about oh, okay, the Colts are starting a guy who's a former six round pick who got traded in a pick swap around mm-hmm. cutdown day from the Eagles. But the Eagles have this guy, Jordan Mailata, who it didn't even like literally when you go on his pro football focus page, it says college, no college. This guy's from Australia. I think he was a rugby player. Oh, and he is. De- he was a seventh round pick a couple years ago. He's developed into one of the best left tackles in the NFL. Interesting. And those guys, you can find, you can sometimes find those guys if they have the size and athleticism and are the right fit in your offensive line room. You can sometimes find those guys not always in the first round because there's always this. This thought that, like, if you need to go get a starting left tackle, you probably need to get him in the first round. That's not a a steadfast rule here. And if the Colts do give Matt Pryor an opportunity to start, I'm not saying he's going to become one of the best left tackles in the NFL like Jordan Mailata is, but you can get a solid left tackle that way. I mean, I saw the Bears do it with Charles Leno Jr. when I covered the, them in Chicago. He was a seventh-round pick who developed into a reliable, dependable starting left tackle. If you can develop those guys and again fit them to a culture and a system sometimes it works and i, I think there's upside with matt Pryor here man you know who may have missed the boat then my, my husband dan tucker rugby player <laughs> state champion rugby player Perhaps why isn't dan why isn't dan, dan starting for the colts does he have long arms <laughs> he does there you yeah, go okay rangy so he can yeah. get the all right yeah yeah is there's still time to pivot <laughs> Like Andrew the Whitworth de- at the this point. Hey, exactly. <laughs> Andrew Whitworth at the age of 40 who played at the top of his game. Matt yeah. Pryor backed up by Dan Tucker. <laughs>
Quit, quit the local, fixing, quit the local the, pro day. Quit, uh, quit fixing the leaks here. in the bathroom and get him out here <laughs> on the field. Right, that's right. Exactly. Handy Dan Who's does this it all. Dan Tucker guy. Never heard of him. Cross him off then. <laughs> I'll bring him out here on April 11th for local pro day to work Let's out go. with Micah McFadden and uh, all, you know the the local prospect guys. I would love to see Dan Tucker block Micah McFadden coming in from a, a Mike Blitz, George Karloftis, which he did about <laughs> 75 <laughs> times a game last year. Yeah. Because they had nobody else. That's what happens, right? Uh, any Anyone we missed here, I think, you know, probably people, folks listening to this are probably like, quitty pay, quitty pay, quitty pay. That's pretty obvious. Yeah. Like, Dio Dengbo. I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can go. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. There, there are a lot of different yeah, places I think that you, could, you yeah. could point to. I you mean, know, I think Mo Ali Cox is yep. another where you could go, of course, with the, the retirement. Yep. Yeah, Kylan Granson. Danny Pinter. Yeah, I mean, just. Just just pick a spot. I mean, yeah. let's just be honest. It's a big year for everybody right. out there because you're talking about, what, year five with this group all mm-hmm. together? I mean, mm-hmm. not this right. entire the roster, co- but, yeah. yes, the core group being all together under Frank Reich. And, and take your pick. You know, we heard uh, Frank Reich talk about it at the, um, at the Combine. It's got to be at least one, if not more, of the trio of Mike Strawn, Desmond Patman, Ashton Doohan. They're yep. absolutely counting on at least one of those players being a legitimate threat and weapon on mm-hmm. the offensive side next year, a wide receiver. I think, you know. Throw and, Paris Campbell in there, Paris too. Campbell. He's just got to stay and, on and the field. And that's why I think OTAs and the offseason workout program are so big for so many reasons. I mean, Matt Ryan, the defensive staff, Gus Bradley, new scheme, on down the line. But it, it has to start in May and June for somebody in that mix to step up and and, and take some of the separate load off. Separate yourself, yeah. Yeah, separate yourself and emerge in the competition, but help a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. Because I think outside of Michael Pittman Jr. and throw out T.Y. Hilton and throw out Zach Pascal because those guys are not on the roster. Pascal's in Philly and T.Y.'s still free agent as we sit here and talk right now. Yeah, go figure. Nick Sirianni go, goes but I, across. <laughs> yeah. Zach, Zach Pascal. <laughs> I, I think outside of Michael Pittman Jr. of the wide receivers that are still on this team under contract, you're you're talking about only 28 catches last season. And no better person to develop that group than the guy you've got in the building right now, Reggie Just Wayne. one of the best wide receivers of all time. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we are going to get out of here. I, I sat down with Kevin Clark again from the ringer at the NFL owners meetings last week. Um, word of warning, we kind of made light of it. We did sit next to a fountain because we were outside. It was very nice. There was this kind of like bubbling fountain on the patio, so... Um, just let that kind of soothe you as we get into this conversation with Kevin Clark from The Ringer. Kevin Clark from The Ringer. You can follow him on Twitter at by Kevin Clark. He is an NFL writer, an Orlando Magic influencer, an F1 podcaster. <laughs> what else am I missing? Oh, I don't. I, that, you got it. I didn't know I was an F1 podcaster until two weeks ago. Well, you are. It's yeah. apparently a, a very popular podcast you can listen to on the Ringer Podcast Network. Yeah, the Ringer F1 show. Again, it's sometimes your life takes turns you were not expecting, and uh, and hosting the Ringer F1 show is uh, is one of those. Which could be a racing car reference, taking turns you're not. That's ex- right. Well, I guess you expect That's turns right. in F1. I don't That's know. Right. I don't First watch corner. enough F1 to get into it but maybe i will i don't know we'll see we'll see there's a pod as soon as you watch the first race there's a pod i've got for you anyways we've got some things to talk about here we are uh recording this podcast at the nfl owners meeting so you hear a little fountain in the background it's very pleasant it's a very nice fountain it's a very nice fountain it's like kind of an evil guy who's spitting water out of his mouth but it's, it's art very, it's high art jj it's very relaxing yeah. I would say, which is a good setting to talk about the NFL offseason, which mm. has been anything but relaxing. So I wanted to get Kevin on to talk about just the, the overall landscape of the NFL and how yeah. many just 
earth-shattering, tectonic plate-moving moves there have been. What's just been your overall impression of why there have been, it's been just such a steady stream of Russell Wilson to the Broncos, yeah. uh, you know, the, the quarterback movement, Devontae Adams to the Raiders, Tyree Kill to the Dolphins. Why has this offseason been, been so kind of turned up when it comes yeah. to those major moves around the NFL? Some of it's coincidence. I think there's a bunch of factors at work that's, that's interesting to me. Number one, cap is rising again. We had two years of pandemic-related caps where I think that there were franchises that were worried about you know, I would talk to GMs all the time. I mean, there, you could set your watch from 2013 until 2020, I think, by uh, the cap was going to rise at least $10 million a year. You knew what that was going to look like. I think that uh, the last two years, every GM I talked to said we're in close contact with the league office trying to figure this out, but we just don't know. We're just guessing on the cap stuff. So now all of a sudden we know it's going to start rising again. We know what the TV deals look like, and they're massive. And I would also say that so you get that kind of certainty that the, the revenues are going to rise. And then you marry that with the fact that there's just a bunch of young GMs now who are ready to make aggressive moves. This is not, you know, when I started covering the league almost a decade ago, there were a bunch of GMs who were like 62. They don't they didn't understand the cap. They didn't want to make any big splashes. They just wanted to keep their job. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure there, there's, there's, there still are GMs like that. But some of these guys are just, they're just going to go for it. You know, I, I remember... When um, the Brock Osweiler trade happened with with Cleveland and Houston, and I remember thinking, like, man, we might see a future of really strong, almost NBA esque trades, mm-hmm. because that was the first where it was like they, they attached a pick to get rid of a contract, and it's like, why can't the NBA? Excuse me. Why can't the NFL have that kind of off-season chaos? Why can't there be creative trades? Um, and we're starting to see that. We're starting to see NBA-style off-season. And what's funny is the NBA always had the the off-season entertainment crown, and I think the NFL is, is stealing that. Yeah. Um, and so now the NFL is going to have the best regular season and the best off-season. So it's going to be interesting to see. Man, I think the, the buzz around here, and and it, no one knows for sure. I've been talking to people, and they basically have been saying. You know, what happens in July if a, the next star's contract talks aren't going well and an owner just says, you know what, I saw what they got for Tyreek Hill, I saw what they got, whatever. How eager are teams going to be to trade uh, a guy away? It's going to be interesting to see whether or not this continues. I think a lot of people think, okay, it's start of the league year before the draft, there's a lot of activity. I wouldn't be so sure that this, is, this doesn't extend into training camp. Mm-hmm. The, the, the deadline could be more active. Like We're seeing a crop of GMs, of decision makers, of owners who are aggressive, and I, I don't think that this is, this is unique to this month. I mean, you think about even just recently, the Khalil Mack trade that yeah. happened right around Labor Day, which uh, everybody just forgot about. Right, it's just like it's like the, the 15th most important trade. It's Khalil Mack. Right, you know? he's been traded again, yeah. by the way, to the Chargers. But when you think about then the ripple effects of all this, that you know, as it relates to us here in Indianapolis, the ripple effects of the the quarterback movement of the Deshaun Watson yeah. trade then come to, you know, Matt Ryan and the Falcons deciding, all right, it's time to move on. And then Matt Ryan deciding, I want to go to Indianapolis. But yeah. you mentioned something about not being shy about dead cap. Yeah. So I believe Atlanta took on 40-something 40, million of yeah. dead cap. Which, by the way, like four years ago, the record for dead cap was like $8 million. Right. And now it's like, it was Antonio Brown, I think it was around 20 or something. And now every offseason, some team's like, yeah, 30, 40, 50, whatever. Why are teams more willing to take on 
dead cap to move on from a player now. I mean, they don't. They realize that it it doesn't matter in some cases. That they'll the owner is fine with it. That the cap is so high that you can get away with it for one year. I mean, the Bills when they were rebuilding around Josh Allen, they took the biggest dead cap charge in history as a franchise because they wanted to bite the bullet for one season and just say, we're going to get rid of this now, and then we're going to move on. The Falcons are going to go through one year of, of a horrible roster, get a quarterback at some point, whether it's this year or next year. Maybe it's Bryce Young next year. Maybe it's C.J. Stroud. Maybe it's my guy Tyler Van Dyke down at the U. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. <laughs> but um, how, how those, the big three, as I call them. You, you also um, schooled me last night for not knowing that Brad Kyle was on the Colts for a little bit. So <laughs> so the uh, I, I know one thing, and it's Miami quarterbacks. Um <laughs> But I, I think that there's, I think that there's just a, a different mentality when it comes to that. And I also think it's the cost of doing business. One thing I didn't talk about in my first answer, JJ, is that there's a price on a superstar now. And I think that you look at, I mean, Khalil Mack trade, I think, went a long way, the first one, in establishing this. We knew, I think for a long time, we were, at the NFL in general, was like, what, what do you pay for a superstar? Okay, And the answer started to be two first-round picks. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamal Adams, two first-round picks. Jalen Ramsey, two first-round picks. Um, and we didn't really have that before. We didn't know what that what that was. The Rams went a long way in, in changing the expectation of that. And so I think these teams are like, you know what? We'll pay, and this is not – Matt Ryan is actually excluded from this, but we'll pay a bunch of dead cap money if it gets us two first-round picks. Um, they understand that. So I think there's a there's – a, there's a cost of doing business element with that, and, and front offices just get it. Listen, there's there's plenty of money going around um, in the NFL, and so I think that the, the, the front offices are okay uh, taking a hit. The something that um, Chris Ballard told us this week here at the NFL owners' meetings is it's not a coincidence that through these you know the, these last couple of years of quarterback movement that the Colts were able to get Phillip Rivers, which is something that a couple years ago almost felt like it was like fait accompli, that Phillip Rivers was going to come to Indianapolis. And now this year they're able to get Matt Ryan because they both wanted to come to Indianapolis. So even if the Colts aren't going out and trading two first-round picks or, um, you know, guaranteeing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to these players, the the trickle-down effect becomes players still want to come to Indianapolis. Is there something reinforcing just with the Colts but with other teams around the NFL that have built good rosters and and operate smartly that it's not luck that the Colts got Matt Ryan it's not luck that they got Phillip Rivers Um, it's because they have constructed things through an intelligent smart way that then they are able to take advantage of some of these situations. Yeah, and I think Matt Ryan wanting to come there speaks volumes about how they're perceived around the league. And, and Philip Rivers, as you said, he could have gone a bunch of different places. Um, and Indianapolis was the best situation with it without a quarterback when, when he was ready to make that move. So, yeah, I, I think they do things smartly. I think Chris Ballard's reputation around the league is good. Um, last year was, was a disaster. And it was funny because... I think that coaches try to take a mentality of, you know, one week can't define us or whatever. And I think that the, the Colts are a rare example of a team where one week could define you just because of what that meant and the ramifications of it. And just the, you know, I, I haven't been in the building in a long time uh, in Indianapolis, but I could imagine that weighed pretty heavily on a lot of people for, for weeks and, and maybe months and maybe yeah. it's still going. It's, it's still, I mean, it's I asked Frank going. Reich and he said, yeah. you know, the emotion of it lasted a long time. Yeah. You know, longer than it usually would. That, yeah, I could... I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, and so I think that there's um, 
I, I, I think that there with, with the Colts, it's still it's still thought of as a place that, that the guys want to go to, and it's still thought of as a place where they can get weapons, they can do things smartly. And it's interesting because you know Matt Ryan for the fact you know he's a highly paid player. You do have to give up draft capital for him, but you got him in probably the most efficient way you could. And, and I think Ballard's really good at figuring out how to build a team in a way that I think Matt Ryan knows, okay, well, I have Chris Ballard. He's going to figure out how to get me weapons. He's mm-hmm. going to, we've already got one of the best running backs in football. Um, he's going to figure out if there's a problem with the line, how to, how to, how to fix it quickly. So I think it's a trust factor. I mean, we've seen so many situations where a GM or a coach wastes a player. And you see it in Indianapolis, frankly, um, with the previous regime. And I don't think that I think when you go to Indy, there's a handful of GMs in this league, maybe 10, you know are going to put you in the best position and surround you with talent. And I think Chris Ballard and Indy uh, are, are one of those teams right now. Along those lines with the offense and, and the way that Frank Reich schemes things, I think this is so interesting. Whenever you, you think about Kyle Shanahan, you know exactly what that scheme looks like. When you, even when you think about Sean McVay, you know what that scheme looks like. You can envision it yeah. in your head. You know, you, you know what the Andy Reid you know, kind of spread scheme can look like in your head. But with Frank Reich, every year has been so different. You kind of, when you think about Frank Reich's offense, you don't have like a specific play in mind. That's like, that is their bread and butter because he has to morph it every year. When you talk with other people around the league, you know, around these meetings, just what do you hear about Frank Reich and and the kind of offensive coach that he is? So I, um, I first was around Frank Reich, probably like most people in the media, during the Eagles Super Bowl run mm-hmm. in 2017. And their coaching job, and that's, I'd include Doug Peterson in this as well, their coaching job to get those guys ready in the Nick Foles regime was one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen. Essentially what they did, and this has been told ad nauseum, but essentially what they did was they, during the bye week, which they had clinched, I think the, the week that, that Carson Wentz went out with an ACL, um, they uh, held a new training camp, basically. Right. You know, they hit each other. They installed plays. Doug and Frank got with, with Nick Foles and said, we're going to, you know, what do you like? And, and the answer was more RPOs, and, and they figured it out. And I think that when you go through something like that, and it's funny because I, I, I kind of always overrated the Eagles after that. Because I think when you perform a miracle like that, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt uh-huh. forever. And everybody associated with that. John Filippo, Frank Reich, uh, Doug Peterson. Like, I-, I thought that was such an amazing example, an adaptable coaching philosophy. You know, Belichick has been famous for 20 years at, at figuring out what his team needs. And what Frank Reich and Doug Peterson did that, that January and February with Philadelphia was so amazing. It just shows you what kind of football minds that those guys have. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've been hugely impressed. And so I agree with you. It's not – no one's going to say this is the Frank Reich playbook because he, he has an adaptable football mind that changes with the team. And Wentz will look different than Matt Ryan, who will look different than Phillip Rivers. Um, but I just know that he's still, despite last year, I think still a, a very, very, very good offensive coach and, and, and thought of as well uh, like that. So there's this assumption that the AFC has just loaded up. I mean, you think sure. about the players who have come – from the NFC to the AFC and you know you've got you know Russell Wilson at the top of that list but you know Devontae Adams making the jump over and you know then a number of players moving within the AFC to teams that continue to try to load up when you you think about just the overall AFC landscape yes is it as as much of an arms race as I think a lot of people assume is it you know do you have to keep up with that or can you continue to build methodically the way the Colts have 
of kind of you know going through their roster, making the move yeah. to get Unique and Gakwe, getting Matt Ryan, um, but not going and, and sending a bunch of first round picks or spending yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars to build out your roster. Is that sustainable the way the AFC is trending? Is it sustainable over a 10-year period? Probably not. I think the barrier for entry to be a dynasty, you know, relatively in the division, not not winning Super Bowls, but, you know, rattling off three, four wins in a five-year period of the division, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. That, to me, the barrier for entry has never been higher. But what I'll say is this. We sat around last offseason and we said, who's going to beat Josh Allen? Who's going to be Patrick Mahomes? Right. Who's going to get in that? And I probably said the same thing. The barrier for entry has never been hired to be a good team in the AFC. Think about the NFC, you got to be better than the Packers. And then Joe Burrow on a team without an offensive line. Um, that piecemealed a defense together everybody, in free agency. Yes, everybody was destroying the um, Jamar Chase pick. Oh, you should have invested in the line, mm-hmm. keep him upright. He just said, screw this, screw the, screw this AFC hierarchy thing. I'm just going to put the team on my back. And it poked holes in everything we thought about that conference. And so in a one-year sample size, like, I, what? okay, sure, the AFC West is stacked right now. Um, you know, I, the AFC North is stacked right now um, when you look at, at some of the moves there. But I, we, you could have looked at divisions and teams last year and said, okay, well, there's no chance for a team like the Bengals to make a run. Yeah, there was. It was that they went in on January and they were badasses and they weren't scared of anybody and they made it happen. And they made adjustments in the second half. Like you take, I, there's a reason coaches do the you know one one play at a time, one quarter at a time thing. Like it, it, over small sample size, everything is fine. So if you're asking me. Without a super-duper star quarterback who's 27 years old, if you're asking me if the Colts are going to be, you know, built to win for the next decade, I'd say not as much as the Chiefs, not as much as, as the Bengals, frankly, not as much as the Bills. But in 2022, you could make a couple moves here in the short term and get in that ballpark, and then once you're there, anything can happen. This is a very – when it's teams stacked together like that, JJ, like, it's just a, a fumble bounce here and yeah. there. Mm-hmm. It's just a couple, you know – it's just a couple fourth quarter calls. Like if you're within one score in January, some of these teams, I, I, I think that the, it's a little bit up for grabs. And I think the Colts can be in that ballpark with, with just a couple moves or some internal development from some of their guys. Right, right. What, when, just the, the last one for you, when you think about the lessons then that you learned from this last season and yeah. outside of having a great quarterback, when you need to make those plays late in the fourth quarter, when you need to make those calls that are successful late in the fourth quarter, again, outside of a great quarterback, because that's the obvious answer, what does a team yeah. need in those situations? So it's two things. Number one, you need to be aggressive. This is a home run league at this point. And for as great as Jonathan Taylor was last year, this is still a passing league. And you need huge chunk plays because it's the most efficient way. Having a great quarterback, as you said, is the, the, the shortcut to – to solving all of your problems, frankly. I also say that a quarterback-driven culture, and I know you asked me not to talk about quarterback, I'm talking about a different genre here. Mm-hmm. The lesson I took from last year was that if someone like Joe Burrow is going to try to change your culture, let him change your culture. Because in the huddle, there's nobody better. Because they were always calm. They always felt like they were in it. Even at the Super Bowl, I was at that game. I was stunned that they didn't win that game. Like, mm-hmm. I, even the – you saw some of the, the chase was shook, shook free. Yep. On that fourth down. I, I saw that, and I was like, man, they're going to they're gonna win this game. Yeah. And I was stunned that the Rams were able to do it. But you think about the talent disparity between 
That's my helicopter, by the way. It's All right. here. That's you got to go. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're wrapping up here because my, my my chopper's here. Um, but the uh, you think about just generally what they were able to do last year, and I just think that that um, you know end of games. I, there's there's a play calling element to it, but really it's just executing and just doing your job. And I think that the Bengals showed probably a lot of of teams last year um, that if you have a cool, calm, and collected play caller and quarterback and a couple of skill guys, that you can you can win games you're not supposed to. And that to me is is the epitome of uh, of what NFL excellence is. Fountains of knowledge from Kevin Clark. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Anytime, boss. All right, thanks again to Kevin Clark from The Ringer for joining us here on the Colts official podcast presented by WinBet. Thanks to Lara Overton and Matt Taylor for joining us as well. Thanks to Dan Tucker for signing up to play left tackle for the Indianapolis Colts. What number is he? What number would he be? What, what would, number? In the, would he be in, in the 70s, should the I 90s just, guy? Should I just call him right now? He, I think he'd be a <laughs> 70s guy. Yeah, I don't remember what his his rugby number was something, but it's like different positionally in, in rugby. So in the ball game, know. 79, Dan Tucker, yeah, who used to be like a it. lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> He used to mitigate left what, tackles. What is yeah? What what is what does your card say? <laughs> According to Pro Football Focus, he has a success rate of zero. <laughs> he has to put up with me, so he's got a success rate at least doing that. Yeah. He's all right pro. He is and, all and pro being married and tolerating to my BS. Hey, that's that's what matters the most. <laughs> Anyways, we are going to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network. Wherever you get your podcasts, turn on those notifications, download whatever we are throwing at you because we've got some sit-down interviews that Mayte and I did with some new assistant coaches that came in. Uh, we got uh, interviews out with guys like Ron Milas, Mike Mitchell, Nate Ali. The conversation Mayte we had with Nate Ali, I thought was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excited for Check everyone to get a chance to listen to that when that gets out. And we'll have we- Rick, uh, Rick Fox. <laughs> Rick John. Fox is coming on the John podcast. Rick Fox from Deep Town. Wow. Yes. <laughs> John Fox what, a, what a guest for next week. Rick Fox, man. He had some big shots in game seven. He did now. Here to preview the NBA playoffs. Here's Rick Fox. I went Fox. to the Pacers game on Sunday, so maybe I'm just like on NBA mode right now. I have no clue. Anyways, we will be back without <laughs> Rick Fox. John Fox coming up. Let's we go. will be back on the Colts official podcast next week, next Tuesday. Rick Fox will not be the guest. <laughs> you, you Unless don't know something that. weird happens. Don't I don't know. That. We don't have a guest lined up <laughs> yet. So we're going to figure out who the guest make, is. And maybe it will calls. be Rick Fox. Anyways, for Lara Overton and Matt Taylor, I'm JJ Stankovitz. Thank you so much for listening to the Colts official podcast presented by WinBet. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.